welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. Today, we're going to do a deep dive on the Toronto Raptors. I'm here with Jordan Kligman. Jordan, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing all right. So let's get started with a quick look at the Raptors offseason, mainly quick because they didn't actually change that much from their team last year, which granted made it to the conference finals. Their biggest acquisition was Jared Selinger, who's actually been out for the beginning of the season, so he hasn't played yet. But after the departure of Bismack Biombo, it looked like he might play a sizable role with Toronto this season. How has he looked so far? He hasn't played in the regular season, but he's seen some minutes in the preseason. He looked fine in the preseason, and I expect him to be his normal self when he comes back. So do you think he's going to play as the starter? Do you think he's going to replace Pascal Siakam, who's started all of their games so far, actually, at power forward? Where do you think he's going to fit into the rotation? Well, I think he's definitely going to take uh, Pascal Siakam's minutes. I don't know whether that's going to be starting or coming off the bench for Patrick Patterson, but he'll get his 20 to 25 minute role slowly eased in as he comes back from the injury. We talked a little bit about Pascal Siakam, so let's jump into a quick review of their draft. Pascal Siakam was actually not the first player they chose. That was Jakob Pertl, who they took with the ninth overall pick. Pertl's been coming off the bench, averaging 16 and a half minutes a game, but especially with the increased minutes that Jonas Valanciunas has been playing so far this season, and the surprising jump in minutes and role from Baby Noguera, Pertl's sort of been nailed to the bench as a fourth big man. Do you think his role is going to increase as the season goes on, or do you think this is going to be more of the development year from him. I think his role will increase right now. Lucas Naguera has kind of cut him out of the rotation, but it's hard to know what Lucas Naguera even is. He's kind of like a rookie himself because he hasn't gotten that much playing time prior to this season. He did have one really good game his first, first game this season where he had five blocks and nine rebounds. Last game, he didn't do very much. But I, I do believe that Jakob Pertl is the the best big man defender on the roster. And I think that pairs nicely with Jonas Valanciunas kind of staggering the two because Valanciunas is clearly the best big man scorer on the roster. So we'll talk more about Siakam later, but let's just discuss him really quickly before we move into the review of the season so far. He was taken with the 27th overall pick, not expected to play much this year, but he has actually started all 10 games for them so far this season. He's only played 17 minutes a game, which is interesting given that he's been starting, but the fact that he's already started so many games is surprising, especially given where he seemed to be in the rotation coming into the season. Siakam, I think, is getting minutes kind of filling what Luis Scola doing last year, getting that dart chunk of minutes, but not really getting starters minutes. But I think it's due to just lack of having power forwards that can play that he has a role right now. All right, so let's talk about how the season has looked for the Raptors so far. Ten games in, they are 7-3 and three after a very close loss to the Cavaliers last night. What does the starting lineup look like in general, just in terms of how they fit with each other early this season? The lineup looks good right now. Norman Powell is getting in the lineup because Carroll is hurt or getting rest. We don't really know. The Raptors kind of keeping that a bit quiet. But it, it looks good, you know, bringing Rawson off the bench. 
Joseph off the bench, and Patterson off the bench. Even though he hasn't been playing well, he spaces the floor well. So it kind of has been working right now, but I, I don't really know if it's going to continue to look like this because DeMar DeRozan has just been on an insane run of just like hitting incredible shots, like just one after another. He's definitely improved, but I don't know if that that's sustainable for him to just every mid-range like difficult shot. Like, how does that go in? But it does. Yeah. The fact that he's shooting 51% from the floor right now, given the shots he's been taking, is just absurd. He fades over people, he gets contested mid-rangers and knocks them down, and I want to say it's not sustainable, not out of any dislike of DeMar DeRozan, but just out of belief in statistics, but he's defied every possible statistic I can think of so far just in the fact that he's hitting pretty much everything he looks at, and he's leading in the NBA and scoring, he's doing pretty much everything you could expect from a scoring wing, except knocking down the three-pointer. And I guess the fact that he's just so good everywhere else makes up from the fact that he can't hit from deep. He's currently shooting 26% from out there, but he's only shooting 1.9 a game. He's getting to the line nearly 10 times a game. And I don't know, this hot streak seems like a hot streak, but the fact that he's kept it going this long is remarkable. It certainly is. But a lot of people keep saying, like, he needs a three-point shot, he needs a three-point shot. But the way, like you said, he draws so many fouls that he just finds ways to score. And I think that it would actually be more beneficial to his game as if he improved a bit on defense rather than adding that three-point shot. Because the Raptors do have three-point shooters. Kyle Lowry, Patrick Patterson, Terrence Ross, even possibly Norman Powell, who was actually really good last season. Yeah, and to clarify, I wasn't trying to say that I think DeRozan needs a three-pointer. I was just more marveling at the fact that he's been so successful without one. But I totally agree on the defensive front. He's had trouble on that end of the floor for pretty much his entire career. He's currently tied with Corey Joseph and, oddly enough, Norman Powell for the worst defensive rating on the team. He often struggles to stay with the play. His remarkable athleticism that he displays so frequently on the offensive end tends to not show itself as much when he's playing defense. So I think he just needs to work on getting a better idea of where he should be positionally on defense because he clearly has the athletic tools and the height. You know, he's big for a wing at 6'7". He could play a lot better defense than he has been, and I agree with you, that's where his game should go next in terms of improvement. Let's talk about Jonas Valanciunas, who is currently averaging a career high in minutes. He's shooting 53% from the floor, which is pretty decent. He's shooting 87.5% from the line, which is remarkable. And just in general, he looks like he's been more involved in the offense than he has in the past. Yeah, well, the past two seasons only getting 26 minutes a game, I think that had to change. I I know Biombo played well last season, but I think Jonas Valanciunas is a future All-Star. It's not a question of if anymore, it's when, and 
he's just great at scoring around the bucket, getting rebounds, and those are things you need to be a successful team in the NBA now. He is averaging a double-double at this point, and granted it's 10 games into the season, but that is worth noting. The trouble with Valanciunas is pretty much the same as the trouble with DeRozan, in that he struggles on the defensive end of the floor. He's big enough to be an effective deterrent at the rim, but he isn't always near the rim when he should be. So do you think there are maybe scheme changes that need to be made in terms of helping Valanciunas on that end? Or does he just need to focus more of his energy on that end of the floor rather than just being a pure scorer? Well, I think a lot of the time it's who he's paired with and he doesn't get a lot of help. And I think like once Jared Sollinger comes back, that will give him that, the help he needs. I, I don't think he's he's a bad defender, but I think he, he needs to improve in that guarding the rim a bit. Let's talk about Patrick Patterson briefly. He's been struggling this season, as you've pointed out, especially from three where he's only shooting 22%. Now, for his career, he's a 36% three-point shooter, so I don't really expect that number to continue to stay where it is. But despite the fact that he's been actually third on the team in minutes so far, he hasn't started once. Is that just Dwayne Casey thinks he's better playing off the bench, or is it a stated preference for Pascal Siakam's defense in the starting lineup? I don't want to talk too much about Siakam because we're going to get into him later, but do you think long-term Patterson is going to remain a six-man? Probably. It seems like a Casey thing, like he doesn't want to start him, but who knows, like when Jared Sullinger, if he's getting eased back, it might flip things where Patterson and Sollinger comes in off the bench. But I honestly don't think it matters whether he starts or comes off the bench because he's getting the lion's share of minutes. I think his shot will come back. He's never been a guy that really loads up the box score, but he always makes the players around him better because he spaces the floor well. We talked a bit about how the return of Sullinger might impact this team, but one thing that Toronto's been considering over the past couple seasons and might want to continue considering this season is trying to trade for a power forward that might fit in their starting lineup better. Do you think that's something worth considering? Do you think it's more important to wait on Sullinger and see if he can come back and fill that role effectively? Well, I think for a couple of years now, I think it's clear that's where the Raptors need to upgrade. And I think, well, at least I believe that Jared Sullinger was a Band-Aid fix. Like he's, he, it was a one-year deal for him. So he's probably not the long-term answer. So if there's a trade out there, if a team is dangling, you know, good player, yeah, the Raptors should definitely look at it. But at the same time, we would, uh, the Raptors would have to give up something of value back. And I honestly don't know what that would be. We have an extra pick, uh, I believe, this coming season from the Clippers. We could use that. And then I don't know. They've been trying to work Patterson into a potential deals, I, I've heard. But I don't know whether it, if it would be him in that deal, whether it be Terrence Ross. I think one of 
the two would have to be in a deal if we're looking to upgrade at power forward position. Speaking of upgrading the power forward position, let's talk quickly about the big man rotation in general. Now, Damari Carroll has started, of the eight games he's played so far this year, he started all of them as the small forward. Now, he's big enough that he could potentially play some minutes at the four as sort of a small ball type of power forward, but do you think he's best served just continuing to be a small forward and letting Toronto's other big men sort of rotate through that spot? Well, with him right now, I don't know whether he's injured or they're giving him rest. Like, Powell is taking the, the spot in the lineup, so if he can get healthy... I think it's something the Raptors might want to explore depending on the matchup, but I think it's very specific matchups where he could play power forward. Like, if the Raptors were playing against the Grizzlies like Zach Randolph and Marcus Gasol, he would not be able to guard either one of those guys. But if you're playing, like, a smaller team, like the Warriors, which they will be, he might be able, uh, you know, play against Draymond or Andre Godala because I think size-wise, it works. Let's talk about the other frontcourt position, which we've spent far less time on so far. Their center rotation is looking rather interesting this year, especially since they just drafted Pirtle, but Baby Noguera has had a really strong start to the season, and Jonas Valanciunas has been playing a lot more minutes. So, assuming Valanciunas continues to get big minutes and continues to play as he has so far at the start of the season, who do you think fits best alongside him, and do you think the best frontcourt pairing does include Valanciunas, or do you think maybe they're better off by going with more of a defensive pairing, like, say, Nogueira and Siakam at the 4 and 5? Well, I think it, it, it definitely includes Valanciunas. I still don't know what Lucas Nogueira is yet. It's really small sample size for him. He's looked good this season, but last season, defensively, which he's been playing well this season, he really didn't show anything last season. So he might have made a major leap in that area. I, I really don't know yet. But I think Valanciunas, just the way he's able to score in the paint, he's just so useful for this team. Like when uh, mid-range shots aren't falling for the Raptors, he's a nice security blanket to get the ball in down low. And I think his defense isn't that bad. I think it will improve. He, he get, he's been getting better each year, and I think he's going to continue to get better. Alright, so let's move on to the wing and guard rotations for Toronto. One of the best surprises, I think, of Toronto's season so far is how well Terrence Ross has been playing. He's shooting 40.6% on threes. He's a little bit over 50% on field goals. He's looked lost on defense far less often than he's tended to in the past. He actually currently has the highest defensive rating on the team other than Baby Noguera, whose ratings are a bit skewed by the fact that he's only played in five of the Raptors games. But Ross has looked really good this year. Do you think it's just more of him doing well in areas he's always been good at, or have you seen any significant leaps from him in any specific areas? He looked really good in the preseason, so maybe there's 
reason to believe it will continue, but he's shooting over 50%, over 40% from three, 100% from the line. This isn't going to continue. Like, those are ridiculous, ridiculous shooting numbers. And if you look at his past couple of years, he hasn't really improved year to year. So maybe he's due for an improvement. I, I just think it's hard to buy in that he's making this massive leap, this shooting, and his defense is this great. But I could be wrong. Uh, he He's always had this great potential upside. Maybe we're starting to finally see it. Yeah, the sample size has been small so far. Obviously, we've only played 10 games. So maybe Ross will come back to Earth. But the rest of their guard wing rotation has looked pretty solid. Corey Joseph has been all right. He's shooting okay so far. He's looked pretty good as a creator off the bench. Norman Powell has only played 15 minutes a game so far, but he has started twice, which was interesting. He's shooting 42% from deep, which seems a bit high, but he had a really great playoff run last season. Do you think his performance is going to be sustainable? Do you think this is something he can keep up, or is he also just hot to start the year? I think Norman Powell is just good. I think he will primarily fit that six-man role once once they figure out uh, and get Harrell healthy. But he shot, like, I believe 40% from three last season. And post-All-Star break, he was putting up ridiculous numbers when he was getting the, the majority of his minutes last season. So... I think he'll he'll be best using that six-man role. He could bring energy off the bench where he can push it in transition and be this good defender that can also hit shots. Let's talk about one of your articles recently on Hashtag Basketball about why DeMar DeRozan is worth his $145 million contract. He's definitely following through on that so far this year. Yeah, I did not think he'd put up these numbers, but what he brings to the team, it's just like, like, how would we have been able to, how would the Raptors have been able to replace that if they let him go? It just, they wouldn't have been able to. That scoring, that mid-range game, uh, he's on an insane pace, which probably isn't sustainable, but I think he's more valuable to the Raptors than any other team in the league, that he, he, Fits the system for the Raptors and an offense that re- revolves around him, whereas another team, I don't know if they'd be able to make it work. You brought up something that I think is worth discussing further, which is the idea that the Raptors can't really, or couldn't rather, really replace DeRozan. And I think that's especially important when you're talking about a team like the Raptors, who are near the top of their conference. People have been upset about how Cleveland handed out a massive contract to Tristan Thompson, and some people were upset about their recent J.R. Smith contract. But when you're talking about teams that are near the top of their conference and already have really high payrolls, they just don't have a way to replace these guys. And Toronto won a franchise-high number of games last year, first time above 50 games. They made it to the conference finals. Even if DeRozan didn't have this incredible tear to start the season, I mean, he's worth that contract because they're not going to get that kind of production 
out of giving more minutes to Terrence Ross and Norman Powell. Yeah, and the fact that he's still, you know, in in, that, in his prime of his career, like he he's not going to be tailing off anytime soon. Whereas Lowry, uh, this coming summer, the Raptors will have to decide what they're going to do with him, where he's kind of reaching that the end of his prime, where decline is might be starting to set in, which is, is harder to offer like a five-year max deal to. But whereas DeRozan, you know, like by the end of his deal, he's still going to be good, barring some insane injury. But yeah, like it, it was a good deal for the Raptors because we, we need, the Raptors need him. They need his scoring. They need his playmaking. They, they, they need, need everything about him because this, this team doesn't function without him. You brought up Kyle Lowry, and I want to talk about that briefly. Lowry was clearly the star of this team last season. He was second-team All-NBA. He did start in the All-Star game last year. But this year, his shooting has dipped, and granted, it's early in the season. I don't want to draw any conclusions. But he does seem to be shooting the ball a lot less than his sort of seeded shots and offensive possessions to DeRozan. Do you think DeMar's crazy hot start has been a problem in terms of diminishing Lowry, or do you think Lowry is just going through a cold stretch right now and DeMar is carrying the offense in the interim? I think that's absolutely right. That's just a cold stretch and that he'll find his way and get a shot going again. But if you've seen the past two seasons, Lowry has tailed off at the end of seasons, whether that's due to his body breaking down a bit, injury, what have you. So there's always a bit of concern whether where, where his body is and whether he can hold up throughout a season into the playoffs. But I, I think it's way too early in the season for something to be seriously wrong with his shooting. I think that's definitely going to come back. And I think it's going to balance out to more what you saw last season in terms of touches than what you're currently seeing, where DeRozan just taking like all, all the touches and a majority of shots. Whereas I think a lot of the shots are going to climb back to Lowry because he's been better with the ball in his hands, being able to find people when the, the shot's uh, a good look for him. Or being able to take that that insane uh, long long through the the with the shot clock ticking down and be able to hit that, whereas DeRozan not so much from three. We talked a little bit about Pascal Siakam earlier, but I wanted to save most of that discussion for now because you wrote an article on Siakam. Siakam has been remarkable this season. Coming out of New Mexico State, he was the 27th pick. He wasn't expected to play major minutes, and yet he's started every game for them so far. How has he been so far? How has he looked? He's looked good, especially for a rookie. You don't expect the 27th pick to take a a starting spot and being able to look competent through the start of the season. I think that's good, but I think he's a placeholder right now until Jared Solinger gets back. He's just kind of taking over Luis Scola's minutes from last season. So uh, I honestly don't really know what he is right now. And I think a lot of people compare Siakam to Biombo because of his energy. But he, do- he doesn't block a lot of shots. He's not that same kind of defender. But on- at the same time, he-, he has better hands. He's a better shooter than Biombo. So you, you like his energy. I think it- it's, hard- it's really hard to know what he is right now. He's... Been a decent positional defender. His 
defensive rating is ever so slightly below Toronto's overall mark. And he's actually been shooting quite well. He's at 55.6% so far, but he has really no offensive game beyond a few feet away from the basket. And he is an energy type of player, but I agree with you. I don't think he's had the kind of defensive impact that Biombo had. And I'm not sure, even though Biombo really is much of an offensive threat beyond three feet, I'm not sure Siakam is as good at, you know, rolling to the rim as Biombo has been over the past few years. I think the difference, major difference there is hands, whereas Bismack Biombo almost a lot of time last season had trouble catching the ball. The Raptors were practicing those skills with him with uh, with tennis balls, I believe, last season. So Pascal can catch a basketball. That's something positive, I guess. But it, it's hard. It's hard. It's really hard to know what he is at this point. He hasn't been a negative, which a lot of rookies are to start their career. And especially like a later pick in the first round, you, you'd expect a negative production, someone that's going to hurt you. But he, ha- he hasn't hurt the Raptors. And I think that's a positive that he's been able to hold his own with those starters minutes. Let's talk quickly about the first 10 games. So the Raptors are currently 14th in the league in points per game and 10th in the league in opponents points per game. But interestingly, their offensive rating is actually third in the league and their defensive rating is 15th in the league. So despite being in the top 10 in points allowed, their defensive rating isn't anywhere near as good. Maybe that's because of their really slow pace. They're currently 24th in the league. But two of their three losses this year have been to the Cavaliers. And their only other loss, interestingly enough, was to the Sacramento Kings. But other than that, they've had a solid start to the year. And obviously, a lot of that is on the back of DeMar DeRozan. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's DeRozan powering the offense, but to speak to the the Kings, the Raptors have had trouble with them before. I believe the Raptors were swept by the Kings last season. So it's just an interesting wrinkle that like certain teams the Raptors struggle with. But yeah, right now the the offense is doing well because DeRozan is just destroying defenders with his shot. There's just no way of stopping him right now. Like I said, that's not not going to continue. I think things are gonna things are gonna balance out where the Raptors will need to play better defense because they won't have this insanely productive offense. The Kings did actually sweep the Raptors last year, despite only averaging ninety seven and a half points per game. So it's interesting that they managed to win by holding the Raptors to low point totals, especially since the Kings were not the greatest defensive team last year. But DeRozan has, I mean, we talked about this earlier, but the fact that he's hitting all of the incredibly difficult shots that he's taken so far has been a huge driving force behind how Toronto's played this year. And he's shot enough such that there is at least a decent sample size of him being this accurate, especially on mid-range jumpers. And if Kyle Lowry can return to form with DeRozan keeping up his performance, the Raptors are going to be a really tough out in these playoffs. 
Absolutely. If DeRose was able to keep up this insane production and the Raptors look like how they look like last season, where everybody was kind of doing their thing with Lowry playing like an all-star, they will be a tough out. They were a tough out last year. They took two games off the Cavs and Valanchunas wasn't wasn't healthy then. Carroll wasn't healthy then. Uh, I think they have potential to push the Cavs. I, I don't know if they'd be able to beat them. I still think they would need to upgrade uh, somewhere to be able to beat the Cavs. But I think they're, they're definitely getting better. And that's a, that's a good sign. Yeah, the Raptors are going to have difficulty beating the Cavs just because unless Damari Carroll makes a remarkable recovery over the course of the rest of the season, they just don't have anyone who can stop LeBron. And granted, there aren't really any teams that can fully stop LeBron. But DeMar DeRozan is not going to be the defensive solution on LeBron. And Norman Powell, despite trying really hard last night, is also not going to be the defensive solution on LeBron. Yeah, I think with Carroll, I think it's, I think a lot of people were expecting when the Raptors brought him in to be what he was for the Atlanta Hawks those last two years with, with his shooting being so great. Is lockdown D, whereas I think his shooting probably doesn't work as well in the Raptors system. But I think if he can get healthy, I think his defense can come back, and I think he can he can slow down LeBron a bit. I think that Norman Powell can slow down Kyrie Irving as well. So I think I think the Raptors do have defensive guys where DeRozan might not be able to defend that many that many players. I think. Between uh, Powell and and Carroll, I, I think they'll, they'll be all right defensively. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? I think uh, we have to talk about DeRozan as uh, one of the elite players in the NBA. And I know we talked about his pace, how it's unsustainable. I think he's a right now he's a top ten player in the NBA. Like I said, I don't I don't think it's going to continue, but I think it's just something to note that he has raised his game this season. Yeah, he might have a good shot at one of the All NBA teams by the time this season is over if he can keep this up. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that about wraps things up for us. Thanks so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a rating or a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else you might be listening to this podcast. You can follow Jordan on Twitter at 416basketball. You can follow me on Twitter at NBA underscore Johnson. You can also follow the hashtag basketball website at hash basketball. They do a lot of great work keeping up with injuries and player absences, as well as a bunch of great content from the NBA writers, such as Jordan and myself. Thanks so much for listening.